Today's episode of the Theater People podcast is sponsored by Today Ticks, the app for last-minute theater tickets. Download the app in Google Play or the App Store and use the code THEATERPEOPLE at checkout to save 20 bucks on your first purchase. That code, of course, is theater with an E-R-P-P-L. One more thing, you guys. So we have launched a Patreon page. If you don't already know, Patreon.com is this really cool website that allows you to support theater people by pledging a couple of bucks a month and getting really cool rewards for doing so. Professionally, I love nothing more than creating this podcast for you guys. As a lot of you know, in the last year, I've made this my full-time job. We've made Theater People a weekly podcast, we're working on new podcasts, and we've committed to producing affordable live events with huge Broadway stars on a semi-regular basis. But it's expensive to do all of that, you guys, and we would be so grateful for any support you can throw our way. The rewards on Patreon are really great. Like, for example, for three bucks a month, you'll be added to our new Facebook group where we're posting exclusive videos with big Broadway stars, videos and like interviews that I'm doing myself, audio clips from interviews that didn't make it into episodes, pictures, articles, and anything else we can think of that we think you guys will think is cool. We're also giving away t-shirts and the opportunity to send a special message on the episode and tons of other rewards. You can donate at patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for Theater People Podcast, and we'll also have a link on our website. Okay, now to the show. There's a maniac out in front of me, got an angel on my shoulder and Mistopheles. My mama raised me good, mama raised me right, mama said do what you want, say prayers at night, and I'm saying Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. You guys, I was so excited to meet today's guest, Jay Armstrong Johnson. I'd seen him in both Hands on a Hard Body and On the Town, and his performances always stood out to me. He's another one of those perfect triple threats that I'm always so excited to see on stage. He made his Broadway debut in Hair in 2009. He then stood by for Aaron Tveit in 2011's Catch Me If You Can. And you all know that that's one of my favorite shows of all time. He originated his first Broadway role in Hands on a Hard Body, and of course was most recently seen in On the Town. He also has a brand new solo album called J. Armstrong Johnson, live at Feinstein's 54 Below, and it is divine. And I'm not just saying that, it really, really knocked my socks off. I wanted to talk to this guy forever. Here's our conversation. Armstrong Johnson. Hey! Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. We've been wanting to do this for so long, so thanks for being here. No, thank you. This is so fun for me. I was listening to your album this morning, and no joke, I was like literally sitting at my desk sobbing listening to your album. Your (laughs) album is so beautiful. Thanks, dude. What an achievement. Like, what an incredible album. My first question is, like, just like the style of your album is so... Um, varied. Like, there's like gospel and pop and musical theater and jazz and like, how do you know how to sing all that? I I, I don't know. I talk about Sister Act two a lot when in relation to my album because yes. Whoopi Goldberg gives that monologue about like when she's first teaching the music class and she's like eclectic. The word eclectic. <laughs> and so like, since I was like a six year old watching that movie, that's kind. Of, I kind of wanted to like carry that philosophy in my life via music. So I made sure to be open minded to all forms of music. And so that's. Kind kind of why this album came 
about was that I, I was making a list of songs that I loved over the course of like three and a half years. And when I was asked to do a, a show at 54 Below by my friend Jennifer Ashley Tepper. Hi, Jen Tepper. Hi, Jen Tepper. Oh, God, I love her. <laughs> um, I had this huge note section in my phone that was just like 30, 40, 50 some odd songs that could relate to my life. And so I just started whittling them down. And then I just ended up with this sprawling m- musical potpourri, as I think the New York Times put it or something. But uh, yeah. Or I mean, something. Or something like that. So yeah, I, I pride myself on wanting to learn and be involved in all styles and forms of music. When you were a kid and you were like first learning to sing, what did your voice sound like? I, I'm sure I was just trying to sound like Reba McIntyre or trying to sound <laughs> like Whitney Houston. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all my divas. And then like I was, it was very like a country kid. Like I grew up in like rural Texas. Like we, I listened to country music pretty much only from the time I was born up until the time I could actually have my own radio. Wow. So it was like country was like where it started for me. And then it went into like I started going to church more and I started like being in the church choir. So like religious music was like surrounding my life. And then like the pop music started coming up and MTV was getting really big and mm-hmm. you know so then I started like going over to the dark side you know <laughs> so like that's I don't know and my dad's this like classical rock fan and I studied musicals and you know it's it's just been my life this this life I wanted to talk about three of the songs in particular the okay. first one is Lost Boy oh. the Ryan Scott Oliver song yeah carted home almost nightly till he's brought into court and charged with all he had done the judge asked him why, and the boy just said, I thought it sounded like fun. And the judge cried, Lost boy, you're a lost boy. Thank God you're not mine. Can you talk about that? And I'm not like super familiar with Ryan Scott Oliver's music. I know he's like a genius. Yeah. I just haven't gotten there yet. Totally. How and you did 35 millimeter with yeah. him as well, which the, again I don't know much about that show, but the people who listen to this podcast are always tweeting about it. Like really, it's, yeah. The the younger kids like love that show. Oh, I love that. How did that song come? Like, why was that song important to well, you to do? Well, Ryan and I have known each other since I was in college. Um, he was brought in as like a. NYU musical theater writing program person. He was brought into the Steinhardt School of Music where I went. I was a vocal performance major there and he was the new work that we were doing that year at NYU. And so um, that's what was up and I met him there and I auditioned for the new work and I didn't get cast in his show though I wanted to but because I had auditioned for him and he remembered me from those auditions he then started asking me to workshop his music and do demo recordings and so we started forming a like friendship, personal and professional relationship around his music and just uh, workshopping it. So um, me and Lindsay Mendez and Alex Brightman became his like muses is what wow. he likes to refer to us. And so 35 millimeter was written for my voice. It was written for Lindsay's voice, for Alex's voice. So um, that's kind of like where my love and obsession for Ryan came because he reached out to me and called, called me his muse. And like, I never thought that I would be like a muse of anyone, especially <laughs> yeah. as genius as Ryan is. So um, Lost Boy is from Darling, the musical. And I've been workshopping Darling for, I think, like eight some odd years now. And I was always like, when I first started out with it, I was like an ensemble member. And then I like, I slowly like graduated to finally playing Peter in some of the workshops. So it's like, it's a Peter Pan show. It's totally, yeah. It's like a dark deconstruction of Peter Pan. It's like set in like 1920s Boston or something. So it's wow. like, it's very, very cool. Very dark. Um, 
as you can tell from the Lost Boys song. And so I, I knew. And Peter Pan is something that's just so near and dear to my heart because I played it when I was 13 years old. It was like my first lead role ever. <laughs> did, did you do a production with Kathy Rigby? Yeah, it was my first professional production ever. That's I was so John crazy. Darling with Kathy Rigby when I was 13 as well. Yeah, so, so Peter Pan is this thing that's like very dear to my heart. So I, I had to represent a little bit of Peter in my album. So I chose Lost Boy from Ryan Scott Oliver's Darling. Wow. And then the other one that literally had me sobbing, like a like a like just like a little like a little gay boy, was um this the, a song that you did. It's a Jeff Buckley song called "Everybody Here Wants You" oh, yeah. from the show that you did uh, out at the Old Globe. Yeah, right? the last goodbye. Right. right. Don't you see? Don't you see? You're just the torch to put the flame to all our guilt and shame. is incredible un- I mean can you unreal. talk about that show a little bit and then a little bit about that song totally I mean Romeo and Juliet is another th- thing that's just been following me in my life Mr. Ingram's fifth grade English class put it on and I like really petitioned to be Romeo and you I, wrote a letter <laughs> I did I did <laughs> so like uh, that and when when I heard about this Romeo and Juliet that was set to Jeff Buckley music I was like okay who's this Jeff Buckley guy so I started researching Jeff Buckley and for those who don't know Jeff Buckley he's this epic brilliant singer-songwriter back in the 90s um, who had his musical forms truly ran the gamut and his vocal stylings and his guitar playing. I mean, he really was such an incredible musician. And um, it's all, and his lyrics are so poetic in nature that you'd almost feel it. It almost felt as though he wrote his songs to fit into the story of Romeo and Juliet. Wow. So um, when I heard about the show, I researched it and I studied the music. And I, I think I studied that for that audition for like three months before it came because I knew it was coming. I knew they were going out to the Old Globe. I knew it was Alex Timbers directing. And I had my eyes set on Romeo, so I really prepped for that audition. Um, and everybody here, once you wasn't even a song that Romeo sang in the show, but it was my favorite song in the show. And so I decided to sing it on my album. It's, it's just, so gorgeous. It's one of those things where I was like, there's no way you can do that kind of singing and the jazz and the pop. Like, it's just like the... Um, what what do you singer people call that? The uh, like the male head voice, your falsetto. Oh, falsetto. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's so beautiful. How Thanks. do you know how to make that happen? I don't know. My dad was always screwing around the house and singing like backup harmony type like falsetto stuff as a kid. So like my like strong Texas like barbecue eating dad <laughs> was like always like. Yeah you know around the house so like it was never something like demasculating to like sing up there and then going to NYU and studying voice as like a college student like I, um my voice teacher is Jeremy A and I still study with him to this day and he really helped um mold my voice into the malleable instrument to be able to do all forms so I, I've always loved all forms but not necessarily have been able to have the technique to like execute them so I really do give a lot of credit to my voice teacher for um, you know getting my voice to where it needs to be to so I can actually sing these songs that I love so much <laughs> last one because if I don't talk about Lindsay Mendes every five minutes I just die never heard um, of her <laughs> who is that again <laughs> um, I don't need anything but you Right Big Babe Ruth needs a ball. Howard Hughes needs a plank, dear. But with you, I've got it all. But with you, I've got it all. And two of a kind. 
find The happiest pair now Like Fred and Adele We're floating on air now And what's the title of the dream that's just come true? I don't need anything I don't need anything I don't need anything But you No, I was reading you said somewhere that you guys have this like really long friend like you've known each other forever yeah. how how do you guys know each other she was another one of like Ryan Scott Oliver's muses she was brought in to like do one of the very first concerts that Ryan did like our um rated RSO and it was at Joe's Pub and it was like one of my very first concerts in the city after I got back from the Chorus Line National Tour and Lindsay was brought on board and that's where I met her was via this concert and so then Ryan just kind of kept using me and Lindsay and Alex to workshop 35 millimeter into workshop darling into workshop mrs sharp into you know, all of his songs all of his shows he's just kind of brought us in as the guinea pigs to like work it out and so Lindsay's just and i've watched her star rise oh so much over the last few years and it's been just, and, and alex brightman too i mean oh, <laughs> i mean i won't go on too much of a tangent but i remember mike and i sitting in his dressing room talking to him and just like falling in love i was like i think i'm in love with you now Hey, theater people. So the fall season is in full swing. I'm literally scrolling through the Today Ticks app as I read this. I have said that before and not been completely honest, but I'm actually doing it now. Okay. Uh, Okay, there is a show on here that a year ago you literally could not get a ticket to that is now going for $39 on the app. So if you download the app in Google Play or the App Store and then use the code theaterpeople at checkout, that code, as you know, is theater with an E-R-P-P-L, to save 20 bucks on your first purchase, you'd be seeing this show for $19. That is literally insane. How many of you hate it when I use the word literally like that? Okay, hang on. Now I'm going to look at Chicago. Do, 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 do. Okay, this I can't even handle. There are tickets to shows for $13, $20, $21. Good God. Okay, let's try San Francisco Bay Area. $15, $8, $18. Okay, you get the point. There is no cheaper way to see theater than by using Today Ticks. So, download the app, select your city, pick your show... Use the code THEATERPEOPLE, theater with an E-R-P-P-L. Save tons of cash. See all the theater. One last thing, you guys. Please take just a second to visit our Patreon page, check out the really great rewards we're offering for supporting our show, and then toss us a buck or three. We'll love you for it. That's patreon.com and search for Theater People Podcast. Okay, back to the show. Okay, <laughs> let's. can we talk about theater stuff? Yes! So... You grew up in Texas, yeah, and you sort of like found theater as like a like a saving thing when you were a kid. Is that yeah, right? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I was bullied beyond an inch of my life as a child. I mean, I guess the people, the kids in third grade, could smell the gay on me. I had no <laughs> idea I was. I was fully. Fully thought that I wasn't, you know, because it wasn't, you know, necessarily kosher to be gay. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm a good guy. Like, I go to church. Like, I make straight A's. Like, I can't be gay. Like, <laughs> totally. you know what I mean? So uh, then, so church was kind of like my literal sanctuary. Like, church was the place that I went where I wasn't getting bullied. And, like, I was accepted for who I was regardless of how uh, effeminate that I might have been. Um, and so when 
I started in the church choir, like that's when I really started studying music as an art form and singing in front of people or in front of a congregation as it was. And so that's when I really, I've always loved music, but I'd never been able to like put it to use yeah. until like the church choir. And then the people in my youth group, um, Allison and David Lanza um, were in the youth group with me and Janet was in the choir with me and they were like, you should come audition for A Midsummer Night's Dream, the rock musical at Kids Who Care Community Theater <laughs> or musical theater rather. And so I was like, oh, okay and I didn't know what it was I didn't really I'd never known about theater really I think I'd been to like Barnum and Bailey's Circus and like you know been to like the Power Rangers like national tour when they came to the hometown like that's the only theater that I knew (laughs) like back in those days um but yeah I went and auditioned I sing Memory from Cats like you do as a 12 year old um prepubescent boy um and I got the role of Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, the rock musical. And I I got the bug and I fell in love with theater and I promised myself that I would go to NYU that year and I promised myself I would go beyond Broadway that year and it was just, that was like a deciding moment in my life. And so it was theater that kind of just like turned things around for me. I went from being like the kid that was bullied every day to the kid that was like lauded, you know? Yeah. When you like, when you find that community, that that theater, that like those people, your people, you know, it, it really changed my life around. That's amazing. When you did end up going to NYU, how come you went for a vocal performance and not for acting? Um, I went to a performing arts high school in Fort Worth called Fort Worth Academy of Fine Arts. That's where I ended up graduating. And um, I was a dance major in Fort Worth. So I was was taking an upwards of like four to seven hours of dance every single day, some at Fort Worth Academy of Fine Arts and some at my dance studio, Diane Clow West Dance Studio. So like dance was my main focus, like sophomore through senior year of high school. So I knew that if I had such a good like base and technique for dance, that if I wanted to start playing actual lead roles and not just be maybe stuck in the chorus as a dancer, um, that I would need to really like brush up on those vocals. So I chose to go to a vocal performance program here in New York so I could really make that happen for myself. And up to that point, you were pretty much self-taught with your singing? Kind of, yeah. I mean, choir was really the only other thing. I never really took like private voice lessons. I never went that route, but I was always in choirs in middle school and in high school, but never never really focused on what it meant to like sing properly or with technique. It was just kind of like this raw talent that I had. Wow. I guess. I wanted to talk about your Broadway debut. Cool. Because you have this really crazy story. So you made your Broadway debut in, don't tell me, 2009. Yeah. Uh, in Hair. Yeah. Which that production was just unbelievable. Changed my life. Obsessed with it. I know, me too. That was the first time I met Annalie Ashford and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> She's stunning. I know. Um, um, and, but you made your, you, so you were cast as the Claude understudy, right? Yep. But you went on, you made your actual debut in rehearsals before you had ever rehearsed. Yeah. Or, sorry, in previews. previews. Yeah. Um, I'd seen the show. I'd just been watching the cast rehearse the show for like two or three weeks. We were in previews. I think it was third week of previews. Gavin got like really, really sick. I like he was not feeling well on a Friday night and like stage management was like, Gavin's not feeling well. Just like, you know, be, just be aware. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> never rehearsed the show, but he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Just for people who don't know, like understudies don't really get rehearsal until you guys have opened, right? right? Understudies, the, your job during the rehearsal process and the preview process is to sit there, take notes and be there when you need to be there. And it's, then on your own time, like learn the music and much, the lines. Yeah. And, because, I mean, the cast proper is the one that's really rehearsing the show to get it ready for opening night. So after the show is opened, then the understudies and the swings and the standbys all go into their own 
one to two days a week rehearsal process. And do, do the do the principals know the kind of position it puts you in if they get sick during previews? Like, I, I, are they a, do they care about that? I think it really depends on the person. I, I, I would know because I started as an understudy. I, st- I like swung hair and then I stood by for Aaron and Catch Me If You Can. So I know what it is to be in that position. But some people, they've never been in that position. So their job is to do their job until they get sick. And if they get sick, they call out. And that's just there's someone there to like come in and fill in oh for them. And it's built God. into the system. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I think it just depends on your trajectory as like an actor. But that, that morning was crazy. I was reading too that Gavin was like a big hero for you. Yeah. How was it to get to work with him? I mean, he's one of the nicest human beings on the face of the planet. And it's not just like he's a brilliant talent. He's also just a brilliant person. And like he was, he started Broadway Impact. And he was like the impetus for hair going and marching on Washington for gay rights. And so we weren't just this tribe of hippies that was just doing a show on Broadway for fun. You know, (laughs) because like we studied it at school. You know, we were like going to protest rallies in Times Square. And we were marching on Washington. And we were... We were shutting down our show for a weekend so we could go out and be in the community and really fight for these rights. I mean, these, this is wow. unprecedented for producers. They let you do that? Yeah, we literally like canceled a show or two so we could go to go to Washington D.C. I mean, that, was, that that's the kind of like love and like support that our producers had for this show and for the community and for this like movement. My jaw is on the floor. I know. I've never heard I mean, anything I have like chills that. Chills right now, just yeah. like talking yeah. about it. So that I mean, that was my Broadway debut. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Like, and and I my very first Broadway show. I saw was Thoroughly Modern Millie. And so Are I, you serious? I sat in the second row and I watched Gavin do his thing when I was 15 years old and I was like, I want to be that guy. And so like, wow. to understudy him as a 21-year-old. like yeah. And if any show is going to make you know that you need to learn your lines in rehearsal, <laughs> that would be the show. That's the show. Um, I, can we talk about Catch Me If You Can? Please. Because I was thinking about this today and I, I've said this before. If if pressed, I would say it might be my favorite Broadway show. Cool. I am obsessed with it. I love that. Yeah, like I love it. I love that show so much. That's like very cool. I, I love that show. I love it. Love it so much. How did how did it come to you? I mean, it was after Hair. I'd done like a maybe a couple of like little off Broadway regional stuff just to like because I was trying to get the business to take me seriously as like a leading man and not as an understudy. Um, and I was in final callbacks for both. Um, how to succeed in business, starring Daniel Radcliffe, and to stand by for Aaron Tveit and Catch Me If You Can, and I got both jobs <gasps> at the same time. Which role in in um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe's understudy? So I'd be no dancing in the ensemble way. and understudying Daniel Radcliffe, or standing by for Aaron Tveit. And standing by for Aaron Tveit is an actual principal contract, which got me more money and less work. I wouldn't have to dance in the ensemble. So of course, it was a step above understudying. So. My, my brain is saying, don't you want to dance? Like, don't you want to be on stage every night? Yeah, I, I, Jay. Yes, Jay wanted to as um as a strategic business move. Jay decided to not dance in the ensemble so that the business would take him more seriously ah. as a principal actor. So he was billed as a principal, he was paid as a principal, and he was there to just be Aaron Tveit's standby. Wow, you know we. I mean? so it was like it was it was a hard choice because I love I, lo- I would love to dance and I love and I like hang out with Daniel and like hang out with Daniel, <laughs> who apparently here is like an incredible human. Yeah, so uh, the, that was kind of like you know that was like the. The change, the like, take me seriously as a leading man. That is so interesting. Did you get to go on a lot? Not once. He never called out? Not once. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a workhorse, man. I mean, Aaron Tveit is a, he's a genius, and he, he works so hard, and he never got sick, and he, he was just a little, like, machine of a human. And well, and there's a the little issue of that show closing criminally yeah, too soon. Yeah, way too soon. Yeah. I mean, way, way, way too soon. 
But, wow. So yeah. what what was your experience on that show then? Did you get to like you got to do the role in rehearsals and and all that? It, it was fun for me to watch a new show be brought to life in front of my eyes, like in the rehearsal room, watching Jerry work, yeah, like, watching Aaron work. Well, I mean, watching this whole show come together, and they, I mean, they created a show. I mean, it was different from Hair because Hair was a revival, and they'd done it in the park, and they were just kind of like revamping it for Broadway. So that's the process that I watched. But watching a new show that is in process to become a Broadway show is a, a it was a new and exciting and uh, educational experience. Watching Norbert Leo Butts was oh like a master <laughs> class. I yeah. mean, he ruled that room. It was it was truly, truly unbelievable. I said to Jen Tepper once, Norbert Leo Butts is the Beatles to me. Like, I went to see Ugh. a show at 54 Below and sobbed, sobbed. Like, it's one of those so women at the airport, you know, in the black and white films and you see the Beatles come in for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, the, he's, the, and he, like, leaves it all on the stage. Of course. Okay. And that's the, that's the saddest part about Catch Me If You Can is that I never got to share the stage <sighs> in like such a capacity with Norbert like yeah. that was that was the one thing I was looking forward to is just like really working with him you know? <laughs> yeah but. so then after Catch Me If You Can you I, in my brain when I was doing the research I was like I think this is the point in his career where he was like I'm not gonna take understudy jobs totally is that right yeah I mean like the standby was like it was a step up from being a swing on hair because it was like a principal role and it was like a standby position but um, yeah I, I had to stop saying yes to all, like, small role understudy positions at all. Did you get a lot of offers? Um, a few. Um, but so I, I started doing more off-Broadway work, and I started doing more regional work and performing more leads outside of the city just to, like, build the resume and, like, garner some re- reputation as an actual leading man. So, yeah, after, after Catch Me, I really put my foot down and said I will not be understudying any longer. I will be trying to do this as myself. And then for Hands on a Hard Body, was that like an out of town contract? Like, was that, did we know that was coming to New York? Um, no, we didn't. Uh, Hands on a Hard Body came to me while I was in Texas on vacation, oh, <laughs> drinking really? lots of beer. Because um, <laughs> um, Nick, um, the guy that played my role before me, um, he got like a television gig or something. And so they were looking for a replacement for this workshop of Hands on a Hard Body. And so it came to me as an offer. They knew I was from Texas. Like country music is in my, in my veins. Yeah. So they just asked me to come in and replace Nick for this particular workshop. Um, and then the next incarnation, they asked me to stay with it. And then, oh, wow. And so we did another workshop. And then it went to La Jolla. And so we did it at La Jolla and then we got great reviews and we got green lighted for Broadway and then we had another rehearsal process and another workshop process and and so then it came to Broadway and that was my first actual role my first like supporting role yeah I mean and again Hands on a Hard Body is another show that I love I know I love it so much I mean what is it like to work with Amanda Green and Trey Trey Anastasio like were you a Fish fan? Genius I mean my dad was more of a Fish fan than I was you know what I mean because that's just the generation is this one of those times where your parents are like living vicariously through you? oh yeah my parents (laughs) and all of my like older like hippie friends that like really like studied that music while I was like listening to like Mariah you know (laughs) I mean they're both so genius I mean Amanda Green is so genius with a lyric and a melody and Trey Anastasio like he's a rock god (laughs) like literally so to, to really see those two merge together and create this like style of musical that like no one's really seen before and like yeah. the way that it was done I mean and it was Texas so it was it, the, it, the show is set two hours away from where I grew up so did you know the documentary when you were a kid I didn't no and so I, I got to research and be like oh my god I can't you can't make this shit up you <laughs> yeah, literally can't exactly. make this up like and people when they came to see the show they were like it just seemed so I don't know like weird like it just was like very I was like guys it's from the document did you see the documentary 
right, know what yeah, I mean? Like, exactly, exactly. It's, we're not making this up. We're, it's <laughs> verbatim. Like, go watch it. Like, this is real people. Yeah. <laughs> you got it all mapped out. Only without a map. Yep. I always had this dream since I was 13 to be a stunt man on the screen. <laughs> well, yeah. I bet I do pretty good. At least I think I could if I could get to Hollywood. Well, hey, come with me. What? Dangerous driving all by yourself. I need somebody to keep me away. Can you change the channel on that satellite radio? I don't know. Don't you want to see palm trees once before you die? Sure. Well, gas and grub oil just 50-50 split. You sleep in the cabin and I'll sleep in the back. And I always think of like also like Kayla Settle, you know. I know, I know, I know. I know. We've had her on the pod. She, hers. So we have almost a hundred episodes. Hers is for years. Hers was the most popular episode. Of course it was. And then Lynn Manuel took her over. Finally, it took some nobody. It took (laughs) Lynn over a year to get. More downloads than Kayla Settle. Yeah. Did you tell Kayla that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She knows. She, the thing about Kayla, too, is that it was like the trippiest interview. Like, she's just such a, there is just nothing that goes into her brain that does not come right out of her mouth. Um, no filter. No filter whatsoever. That's why she's my sister. Yeah. Totally. Totally. She, I call her my sister. She calls me her brother. She's, she's my everything. She, I see her on the train on the subway. We live, she's like lives a block from me. I see her on the train totally. sometimes and she's just like, She's just a force of a human. Oh, yeah. She's a storm. She's just the most beautiful storm you've ever seen come through yeah. the town. Um, uh, on the town. On the town. Okay, I have to ask a ridiculous question that I'll probably edit because my husband will literally murder me. Please. Is it Compton and Green? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to leave it in. So Amanda Green and her dad? Dad. Mom, dad. Adolph Green. And, Adolph Green. Yeah, Betty Comden was yeah. like. Uh, what was, did you partner. talk, did you have conversations with her about this? Um, n- With Amanda? Yeah. I mean, yeah, what's crazy is that like Bernstein and like Jerome Robbins and like Comden and Green, uh, it's just been, they've, those have been artists that have just circulated my life. I mean, I did Singing in the Rain my senior year of high school. I did Peter Pan, which was Comden and yeah. Green. Yeah. Like, one of my, uh, West Side Story is my favorite musical of all time. You know, like, so, <laughs> yes. so these, so to have Amanda Green, like hands on a hard body and I, I work workshop a bunch of her other stuff and I've done a few of her concerts I mean she she was a baby hanging around when Lenny was like writing this shit do you know what I mean yeah yeah so like hear her stories that she has about dad and Lenny and like Betty I mean she refers to these people (laughs) that are like my my like rocks my gods like like the musical theater canon oh yeah legitimately so she and she's a genius human she's one of the funniest people I know she has a way with a lyric that I like no one does (laughs) these days I mean her her contemporary writing is is just too good. She, has she done? Like, what else has she written? Um, High Fidelity. Um, ah. Bring It On. Um, right. Hence, yeah, I mean, she's 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 up there. She's she's getting it done. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, on the town, how did this happen? Um, Hands on a Hard Body was um, in jeopardy of closing. We weren't selling very well. Um, we had like a producer meeting one day, and our producers were like, "So it's not looking good. So uh, you know, just be aware." <laughs> yeah, and we were all like, "Great!" So I called my agents immediately. I was like, "Hey, I think my first Broadway show as an actual role is going to come to a close soon. So maybe we should look for some jobs out there so I can pay my rent." <laughs> um, so the first audition that came my way was on the town at Barrington Stage Company, and that was another one like no. 
plans. No plans no, for Broadway. It was I like mean, a summer gig. I mean, I, I knew on the town-ish. I mean, I knew it was like a dance show. Like, it's Bernstein. I love Bernstein. So it was like, I was very, like, sad when I was going in for this audition because I knew my Broadway show was closing. Like, it was it was not a happy time. Yeah, But yeah. I mean, I, I worked my ass off to get the role because I just, I needed to pay rent. Um, and I'd been hanging out with Alicia Umfress a little bit throughout the last few months before that audition process because we were singing a bunch of concerts together at 54 Below for, like, Amanda Green and for our friend Carmel Dean, who was, yeah. the, um, who was our music director on Hard Body. So um, Alicia had been this, like, looming love. She's incredible. Oh, my God, I'm obsessed with her. Yeah. So uh, we had kind of been getting, like, to know each other a little bit before this audition process. And so when we finally were in callbacks like, with each other, uh, we really, like, studied it together. And, like, wow. we, like, really tried to get these roles together. And we walked in and, and we nailed the audition and... We were like, all right, guess we're going to go do some summer stock <gasps> up in Barrington. And I was like, wait, like Tony Yazbek, like Elizabeth right, Stanley, right, like right. John Rando, like yeah. Josh Berg. All of a sudden, like all of these names, these people that we were going to work with. I was like, this shit is huge. Yeah. Like these people, their resumes, like it's unbelievable. And I told Alicia, I was like, we could go to Broadway. And she was just, Are you the one that started the rumor? She literally laughed at me. <laughs> she literally laughed at me. She was like, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, we're going to go to Broadway. How about waiting for Guffman over here? Like, like, she literally made fun of me for even mentioning that, like, we could go to Broadway with the stature of these humans. And then we did. Yeah, exactly. Eat it, Umfres. Yes. We, so I just am realizing we've had Alicia, we've had Tony, and Elizabeth. Mm. And now you, this, we're, we're completing the circle almost. Oh, all you need is Clyde. I know. He's brilliant. I know. Oh, my He's, God. Yeah, he and his wife are out in Chicago right now doing crazy for you, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, first of all, like, playing the lyric. You guys were the first ones to play, like, the reopened lyric, totally. right? Totally. That yeah. must have been great. That, that place is just mammoth. It was huge. I mean, when we first walked into the lyric for our, like, welcome to the theater, it was right after Spider-Man had closed. And, right. like, <laughs> the people that were working backstage were like, B careful you must watch out what so like the whole cast was terrified when we walked into the we were like are we all gonna die here i think we had i think our stage management team went and like saged the entire theater just to like make sure that you know no one lost a foot or anything um but yeah the, the, the lyric is huge it's gorgeous it's epic it felt so right for the show it felt so like new york so vast yeah. so big are the dressing rooms huge yeah i mean uh, oh my god it's like it's like a roadhouse you know when mm-hmm. you're on tour and you go like play whatever theater in whatever bum freak town mm-hmm. you know those backstage areas those dressing rooms are so lavish they're so big yeah. they're not like those tiny little Broadway like totally. like cell block tango boxes that you like <laughs> live in backstage so it, it it really was very luxurious one of the things that stands out to me from I saw that show in preview so I said a long time ago but cool. I one of the things I remember is the come up and see me <laughs> sequence my father told me chip my boy there'll come a time when you leave home if you should ever hit New York be sure to see the hippodrome the Hippodrome. The Hippodrome. Did I hear right? Did you say the Hippodrome? Yes, you heard right. Yes, I said the Hippodrome. Hey, what did you stop for? It ain't there anymore. I eat a sang and A and blew the place away. Uh, I wanted to see the Hippodrome. Like, the physical comedy. <laughs> I was talking to Alicia about it, and she's like, no, that was all Jay. I had nothing to do with that. How did you guys stage that? I mean, it just seemed like you were being flung all over that stage. I mean, it really was the genius of John Rando, because he he had this idea of this, like, cab on hydraulics, and, you know, he, he'd used these, like, other tropes and shows that he had done, like, when I flung out the side of the yeah. back and looked like I was flying away. So he was really, like, the, the master puppeteer of that 
that song and he was just like so could you like do a backflip over the backseat of the cab right now and i was like uh i'll try do you, you know? know how do you know how to do that not really i never studied like uh, any kind of acrobatics I i'm not a tumbler but i mean i had like i have a little bit of like physical like uh, i don't know I was, I'm a dancer. yeah i'm a dancer like <laughs> yeah. i was a dance major in high school so i just kind of went for it one day i was like sure i can try it and like i just flipped over the back of this like really old like back of a like van seat that we were rehearsing on in like this elementary school like <laughs> classroom like literally we were rehearsing in an this is in Barrington? Classroom. Yeah, Barrington. I'm and doing so. a whole thing on Spelling Bee right now. So oh, I've cool. heard the legend of these oh, like I'm classrooms sure. and like cafetoriums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, like the craziest, craziest spaces. So funny. And so I like, I like flipped over the back of the cab and landed on my feet behind the cab. And I was like, yeah, I guess I can do it. You had never done a backflip before. I mean, not really. But what if you had died? No, it wasn't. It was an assisted backflip because my my shoulder was using the back of the cab to, for like. Oh, uh, like, okay. What is that? I was like a lever. It was like what? What? what, what, what I don't know. I'm that? still worried about you. I don't like this. Where's <laughs> Where's Where's equity? No, but I mean, I wore ankle braces and like volleyball style knee pads. I mean, I was so padded up for that show because I was always just falling and tripping and landing <laughs> on my knees. So like, what they didn't realize, what the audience didn't realize, is that under. Underneath me was this armor underneath my like sailor suit to like keep me safe and like keep me healthy. God, did you stay with it all the way till the end? Yeah, I mean it wow. was. It was I was the very first birthday we celebrated when we moved into the theater, and I was the very last birthday we celebrated before we closed. So I was there. How was it year. to get to work with Misty Copeland? Oh, she's just a dream, That must dude. have been incredible. And it was the last few weeks of the run of our show, and we weren't really selling well. And so when Misty came just waltzing into our theater with her beauty and her grace and her uh, humble attitude, I mean, she was like one of the most stunning things I've ever seen on stage in my life, but just her, she's a lovely human and she wow. brought in so much press and she brought in like huge audiences and she brought, brought in a bunch of celebrities. So all of a sudden our show, which was closing felt like it was the beginning of our run. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Really yeah. Went out with a bang and that's thanks to Misty. And she's, she's such a, such a beautiful, lovely human. Oh, Jay Armstrong Johnson, I'm obsessed with you. Get out what of else here. do you have coming up? Are you are you still on TV forever? Um, uh, to be determined. I mean, my character on Quantico is not necessarily dead, but they've moved production here to New York. I'm just kind of sitting around, twiddling my thumbs, keeping my fingers crossed that they bring me back. I think they've shot like a good eight episodes of season two so far. So I'm just like, come on, Quantico. What is what is that show about? I mean, it's about terrorism, you know? It's uh-huh. like, everyone's like, buzzword, terrorism. <laughs> so it's about the most beautiful people you've ever seen toting guns and fighting terrorism, you know? It's just like network What's television. Level. Yeah, I mean, I felt I feel very cool. My character last season, he's on the spectrum of autism. Wow. Uh, so was, that was something really fun for me to research and, and try to nail for a specific uh, part of the community that's pretty underrepresented, at least in terms of media. Um, and it's, it's really fun to, like, play with guns and, you know, have fight scenes. And yeah. You know, like talk a bunch of jargon about like how to fight terror and like hack codes, hack military codes. You know, it's just like I'm living every like dream that I've ever had of just like being a spy. You know, it's like it's, it, it was it was it was a very cool year and a, a big learning experience as well because I've never done TV. So just to learn what it is to be on a set and to like yeah. what a close up is as opposed to a wide shot and like how you deal with that and like yeah, it was it's been a it, it was a very cool experience. Um, just like lastly, what do you have coming up theater wise? 
Theater-wise, um, there's something that's not been announced yet, so I'm not allowed to tell you, <laughs> um, or else everyone would kill me. Um, so there's something that's going to be announced pretty soon, um, and that'll be fun, and I can't wait for you to hear about Yay, it. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, but I am doing a web series. Oh, um, cool. A really fun, like very high-profile web series called My Gay Roommate. It was written by my buddy Noam Ash. Um, he did it as like a... Uh, just like a small web series on YouTube back in the day when he was in college, and it garnered like a 5.6 million few followers. Like wow, while he was putting in. So like, there's a producer attached to it now, and we're raising. We're in like the very last day of our like raising funds via Kickstarter. So I think we've we're like 90 percent there about of raising our goal. So we're shooting um, a revamped pilot version of it. Um, in November, um, to with hopes to sell it to a Netflix or to a this or to a that. So, so cool! It's, it's very fun. I'm playing Max, the straight roommate. What a twist! Um, <laughs> Noam is my gay roommate, and it's it's Jennifer Damiano <gasps> who's who's in it with us, and Catherine Gallagher who did wow, Spring Awakening, yeah, and, and uh, Andy Mantis. Wow! So it's like it's like a kind of a who's who of like Broadway and musical theater, and they're all friends of mine. So it's just going to be a really fun, exciting like web series. Just everyone out flexing their tv film muscles for a few days just to like so create cool. something cool yeah i'm really excited about it and hope it takes off and does some really cool things that's all i have for you jay armstrong johnson thank you so- i can't say your name i'm gonna say it again jay armstrong johnson well, hello. you can get my album on itunes <laughs> yes it's called jay armstrong johnson live at feinstein's 54 below and it's incredible you guys thanks. go get it yeah that'd be awesome yeah. well thanks for doing this yeah thank you this is such a good time i'm so glad yeah, man. next time they'll be drinking oh yeah <laughs> bye bye New York, New York, New York, New York It's a hell of a town Hey you guys, so my dear friend David Alpert, who's like this fabulous light of a human being, is directing a benefit concert at Joe's Pub at the end of the month and I wanted to make sure you all knew about it. So I asked him to come and chat with me for a minute or two. So here he is. Hi, David Alpert. Welcome to the officially to the Theater People podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I've never been on this podcast. Well, you've never listened to this podcast. I will now. <laughs> so you are doing a benefit, and I don't have any of the details. So tell me everything. So Living for Today is a benefit that raises money for Gilana's Fund, and this is the ninth annual Living for Today concert, and it's super fun. Um, we call it one of Broadway's best benefits. That I coined that phrase myself, but I truly believe it. Um, And we raise money and celebrate acceptance. So I can talk to you a little bit about the fund, which is called Gilana's Fund. And it was created in 2007 um, when my sister passed away at the age of 26. It was really traumatic and terrible, but the community rallied and raised $10,000 immediately. And over the past few years, we've raised more and more money. We're up to about $50,000. And what we do with that money is honor Gilana's legacy by giving money to educational programming promoting acceptance. So that means accepting each other, accepting ourselves, accepting other communities is something that I feel incredibly passionate about, especially at this moment of our life in 2016 with the election coming up. And about a year after moving to New York, I wanted to direct something and I decided to direct a concert, but not one that, you know, I was going to charge $20 to have my friends sing and then pocket the money. I I don't like that. So I thought, what can I raise money for? And I thought I could actually honor my sister's fund and her legacy and do a benefit concert. And um, we did our first one in 2008 in the basement at the Lori Beachman Theater. But Stephanie DeBruzzo and Kate Reinders and Carly Gibson. And at that point, a young Selena Carvajal. 
Lena, you're listening. The first, when I tell uh, Lena this, is that the first person to ever sing on the benefit stage, the first note of the first song was Selena, was Lena, sorry. Wow. And she's a Tony winner. Yes, she is. So over the course of the last eight concerts, and this will now be the ninth, you know, as I've been able to work more and more in New York, I've been able to ask those friends of mine to, to come and join me. So we've had past guests, you know, some nobodies like Adina Menzel. Who? You know, she was in this thing called Frozen Weird. and Wicked. Um, uh, but I'll, vague, vaguely, vaguely no. Um, but also Vanessa Williams and Jim Dale, Titus Burgess, Aaron Lazar, Carrie Butler, uh, Steven Spinella, everyone, you know, just – and it's always so touching that these incredibly famous and busy people take the time to help out this cause. So who's going to be there this time? So at this point, we have we're still gathering guests. So if you're a big Broadway star and listening, give me a call. Um, but uh, we have the fabulous Tony Award-winning Alice Ripley, um, my buddy from If Then, James Snyder uh, from Kinky Boots, Andy Kelso, Ben Cameron from Wicked Naida is hosting. If you went to BroadwayCon last year, Ben Cameron is the best host. He's so great. Um, for a live event and not a podcast. <laughs> Um, Autumn Hurlburt from uh, Legally Blonde, if you remember, from The Search for Elle Woods. Who else? Uh, Alicia Umfris. Um, what's really cool, and I'm not the first person to say this, nor the last, but the Broadway community is so giving of their time and talents. And, you know, this is such a great cause. And I, I love that what brought us into theater was accepting each other and that there's so many different types of people. And the fact that we can take this grant money and give it to organizations across the country, it, it's the most rewarding thing ever. Tell me your sister's name again. Gilana. What is that? Where is that name from? It is Hebrew. And as we record today on Yom Kippur, it's very touching. Um, her name, Gilana Shira, meant, uh, oh my gosh, joyous song. Um, and it's really great that she was very musical. She studied musical theater at IU in Indiana. Um, very theatrical. And uh, so it's a great way that we can kind of gather together. And, you know, the fund has taken off in its own unique way. It it never was a memorial concert. I never wanted it to be that way. I want it to be, you know, the tag of the the fund is celebrating acceptance. It's uplifting. It's positive. We can make a difference. And, you know, we've been at Joe's Pub now for five years, and it's such an awesome venue. It's so cool. And we purposely keep tickets at $20. Mm-hmm. If you want to pay more, there's more VIP seats mm-hmm. and uh, after party with our stars. But it's so much fun. And I get so passionate. You know, I'm on Facebook and... When you share an article, that's one thing. But when you actually go out in the world and talk about issues and try and raise awareness, that's another thing. And I'm trying to get people away from clicking to make a difference and actually go do something. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be there. Tell the people again when and where and what time. It is October 30th. It's a Sunday night at 7 o'clock at Joe's Pub. Tickets are available if you go to the Joe's Pub website. And you can also check us out on Facebook. Uh, the benefit is called Living for Today. It's taken from the song Imagine by the Beatles. If you come, please say hi. I'd love to meet everyone. And, and um, it's going to be a really fun night. David Albert, I'm obsessed with you. I, I want to have you on every day. I will be here every day. <laughs> it's that much fun. Bye. Bye. New York, New York, New York, hell of a town. The Bronx is the Bronx, the batteries down. The people ride in a hole in the ground. New York, New York, New York. It's a hell of a town.
Theater People Podcast is a product of Theater Podcast Productions and is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. Special thanks to our sponsor, Today Ticks. Download the app in Google Play or the App Store and use the code Theater People to save 20 bucks on your first purchase. Special thanks also to Steve Tipton, Bradley Bean, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, associate producer Robbie Roselle, hey boo, and the staff at Oswald's. We'll be back in two weeks with Hamilton's Mandy Gonzalez. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking.